Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, I'm Rochelle. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wild Lives podcast. Today, we're chatting to one of my favorite photographers, Jad Davenport. Now, Jad's based in Denver, but he spends a large part of the year on the road as an author, expedition leader, filmmaker, and photographer. You've probably already seen his work on NBC and PBS, as well as in print for the Smithsonian, Vanity Fair, and in National Geographic's numerous magazines and books, as well as a stack of others. He's pretty much done everything. Jad's adventures have taken him all over the world from the Congo to the Cook Islands and, of course, to Canada's Hudson Bay area, where he's got incredibly close to wolves and polar bears. Hudson Bay sprawls more than 1.2 million square kilometres across eastern Canada, so it's about the same size as Peru. Named after the explorer Henry Hudson, this vast expanse is connected to both the Arctic and Atlantic Oceans, and it's known for its extremes. Winter temperatures in the area can dip as low as minus 51 degrees C, while summer can hit a steamy 27 degrees C. There are only around a dozen villages along the bay shores, with the more well-known settlements including Rankin Inlet, Churchill and Avia. Some of the bay's present-day villages were originally founded in the 1600s as trading posts and are now populated by Inuit and Cree people. In terms of wildlife, the bay is a thriving habitat for both mammals and avian species, with at least 200 different types of bird visiting the bay's shores, and in the summer, around 50,000 beluga whales also pour into the area. But Hudson Bay is more widely known for being the polar bear capital of the world. Hey, Jan, it's so great to have you with us today. Thanks, Rochelle. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Now, I know you don't have a lot of time because you're gearing up for another adventure, but before you go, can you please tell us what initially drew you to the Hudson Bay area? It was polar bears that initially drew me to Hudson Bay. It was the the chance to see polar bears in the wild in a place that's still fairly accessible to most normal people Mm. (laughs) that don't have their own expedition ship. Well, when you first started working there, what was the biggest surprise to you? You know, the biggest surprise I think uh, that hit me when I started working in the Hudson Bay was how many polar bears there were and how frequently we would encounter them along the coast. I always pictured polar bears as being out alone on the ice, which of course they are in the winter, you know, they're out hunting by themselves. But during the summer months in this population up in the Hudson Bay, when the ice is melted there, they've come ashore. And so they're just kind of biding their time, hanging out along the coast. And on some occasions, as I've flown from Churchill to one of the Churchill Wild Lodges in the south on an hour-long flight, I counted over 100 polar bears in 60 minutes just scattered along the beaches. Is that typical, do you think, like of every season? I, I think it is fairly typical. The Hudson Bay population is one of the larger populations. It's one of the healthier populations. And they tend to be fairly concentrated because they'll be so along the Manitoba coast of Hudson Bay, the polar bears have a couple of different denning areas. So as they get off the way, the currents work up in the Hudson Bay, they tend to get off the ice right around Churchill and spread up and down along that coast. So you do happen to find concentrations of them. Whereas if you go further north, say into Nunavut or up along the, the Alaska coast, or even Greenland, you might get a couple of bears um, that you would see during an hour flight. But I think that's one of the things that surprised me about the Churchill area in Manitoba was just the sheer number of bears that you can encounter them almost anywhere. The Hudson Bay area is actually, as you mentioned, it's a huge area that sprawls. I don't even know how far. 
Are there specific places within that area that you like to discover the wildlife? You mentioned Churchill. Is that is that one of them for you? Sure. Within the Hudson Bay, and you're right, Rochelle, it's a massive area. It's essentially an inland sea. Mm. So within the church, within the Hudson Bay area, I think my favorite place is actually southeast of the town of Churchill. It's outside of Wafusk National Park, so even further south than that. And it's a place that's called the Casca Coast, the K-A-S-K-A, Casca Coast. And that stretches kind of right along the far northeastern shoreline of Manitoba and into Ontario. It's unpopulated. There are no communities up along that coast. So the wildlife you see there is really not encountering people at all. Um, so it's, it's relatively untouched, and it's a massive wilderness area. It's about 10 times the size of Yellowstone National oh, Park in the, in the United States. That sounds like actual heaven to me. <laughs> Weighing in at 650 kilos and growing to more than two and a half metres long, polar bears are the top Arctic predator and the largest land carnivore on the planet. Despite their huge size, they are surprisingly agile in the water and can clock speeds of 10 kilometres an hour using their paws as paddles and swimming for up to 90 kilometres without a break. Today, the global polar bear population is roughly estimated to be between 20 and 30,000 with up to 15,000 living in Canada. In fact, Churchill, on the western coast of Hudson Bay, is one of the world's largest polar bear maternity denning areas. It's also in this region that the bears come ashore to spend the summer months while they wait for the sea ice to refreeze, because without the ice, they can't hunt their favourite food, ringed seals. During their months on the land, the bears go into what some have called a walking hibernation, preserving their energy while they wait for the ice to reform. You work as the resident photographer for Churchill Wild. You've had countless close encounters with bears. Have you got a favourite interaction that you can tell us about? I do have a favourite bear interaction. So one of the interesting behaviours with the male bears during the summer when they're off the ice, they do something called pair bonding, where two young adult, young male bears will kind of become friends and they'll hang out together. And they'll often spend a lot of time sparring, you know, fighting. It looks pretty ferocious, but it's actually just kind of playful combat as they're developing their skills. And so they'll spend a lot of time together. They'll sleep together back to back and they'll just become best buddies for the summer. And we had two bears that had been playing out in front of the Churchill Wild, the Seal, Seal River Heritage Lodge, which is one of their five lodges up there. And right from the deck, we watched these bears playing over and over and over for hours, just battling back and forth. And then the larger bear accidentally hurt the little bear. Not very hard, just gave him a, a little heavy swat. And one of the rules with polar bears is that the bigger bear always lets the little bear win. And so this That's little bear terrible. went off to find a new friend and this poor, you know, larger bear sat out there, kind of watched him go away. And he hung around the lodge for uh, two or three days after that. And one day I went out to walk and see how he was doing. And so I approached him and he looked so excited. He looked like for those of us that have dogs and your dog does that kind of um, downward dog yoga position where they stretch out and then they're ready to play. So he started doing all this playful behavior and this interaction where it was very clear that he was just excited to be, have some kind of company. He ripped up a little willow bush and threw it in the air he rolled over on his back. He looked at us upside down. And, of course, we, we didn't interact with him. We stood there and watched him and photographed him. 
And then when we, it was time for us to go, he just looked crushed. Mm-hmm. He sat there for a long time, just watching as he walked away. But it's, it's encounters like that, that you, you really understand that these are very intelligent, sentient creatures out there, just like us. Oh, that's amazing. That would have been such an incredible thing to watch. Do you have any other favorites? I have a number of favorites with the cubs. So each year the mothers have between two and three cubs, one and three cubs. And as these, we encounter them. So let me back up for a second. So polar bear cubs are born around the first of the year and they emerge from the den with their mother right around the middle of March. And they'll spend that time going back out on the sea ice with mom hunting seals. And then that summer they'll come back shore. And by that time they're about the size of a large St. Bernard. So they're, they're decent sized little bears. And often what you'll find is that mother is exhausted. So she's sleeping on the beach and the babies are just curious about everything. Here I'm calling them babies, the <laughs> cubs, you know, to use the, the technical term. But they're curious. They're fascinated with anything. If there's a butterfly, they're going to go look at that. If there's a little ground squirrel, they're going to go check it out. And so on a, several occasions, I've been walking down a beach and come around the corner, and there's mom sleeping, and the two, you know, two young bears are there, and they just perk right up. And they have no past history with humans so they want to come right up to you and and sometimes i swear if i just stood still and sat down they would come and crawl right in my lap now obviously i wouldn't allow them to do that but when you have two cubs they tend to egg each other on so they're very cautious but one will move closer than not then the other guy will move closer and so you'll have to kind of dissuade them from getting too close <laughs> that's so adorable but that's pretty they close are so funny <laughs> Very close. Yeah, absolutely. That's super close. Has it ever been, have you been in a situation where you've been uncomfortably close with a bear? The only times I've been uncomfortably close to a bear has been in a surprise encounter. Um, So we work with some fantastic guides up at Churchill Wild that are, you know, highly trained in interacting with, with grizzly bears and polar bears and black bears. And so almost all of our encounters are planned out and mapped out, and we stay a certain distance away from the bears. But occasionally you will be hiking through the willows, the tall willows, and a bear will stand up next to you and just kind of look down at you. And, you know, you're talking about an animal that's the largest land carnivore on the planet. It it stands the same height as T-Rex. You know, you can get these, a full-grown adult polar bear can be three and a half meters tall. So... You know, when you get that animal kind of rising up out of the willows and looking down at you, it certainly gives you, you know, your heart starts racing. But I've never had a bear really turn on me. We're very, very careful how we behave with the bears. I'm also a licensed bear guide in Canada, so I've spent a lot of time studying bear behavior and working with bears. So the whole goal is to see the bears in a natural state and to not surprise them, to not upset them and just kind of watch what they're doing be pretty amazing to be that close to them. Now, you have actually worked there for a while. Um, I'm not sure. How many years have you worked in the Hudson Bay area? I didn't ask you that before. I've been going up to the Hudson Bay for probably the past 15 years. Oh. I've been working on a project for National Geographic Image Collection, photographing the Hudson Bay with Churchill Wild as kind of my base. And I've been working with them for, I want to say, five years. Hmm. So... Over the 15 years though, that you have been visiting, have you noticed any change to the bears in that, have they, in your opinion, been affected by climate change at all? Or have you heard anything anecdotally? You know, that's a great question, Rochelle, about the impact of climate change on these bears. I think, you know, not being a biologist, I'll, I'll answer it by, by saying that I personally haven't observed 
any impact because I think we're talking about a small time that I've been up there and seen the bears. Mm. Anecdotally, the bears certainly I've heard from biologists. They, they've studied some new, we don't know. Let me back up. Biologists have, have noticed some behavior where bears during the summer, where they typically would just be resting and maybe grazing on berries. We've actually had some polar bears right around the lodge areas that have been hunting beluga whales. And this behavior, we, we believe, is relatively new, but we don't know. No one's really studied, studied bears long enough to know if this is new behavior they're learning or if this is just behavior that cycles in and out. And so typically in the summertime, they wouldn't be feeding at all. But now we're getting these bears that will go sit out in the bay on low rocks just below the waterline. And they'll wait for these belugas to come in shallow where they're kind of sloughing off their their dead skin. And the bears will then pounce and grab a beluga whale. And as you can imagine, you know, beluga whale, you, I don't know, you're talking five meters long. Mm. It's, it's a large creature. And so when they finally are able to, to kill the whale, you will get multiple bears feasting on these beluga whales. So those particular bears seem to be doing very, very well. As far as the overall impact of climate change, I, I probably wouldn't be the best person to answer that question. Certainly with other polar bear populations, I've heard anecdotally, like up in the Beaufort Sea near Alaska, bears that depend more heavily on the, on the ice, bears that don't spend as much time on dry land as the Hudson Bay population does, mm. that certainly would be a difficult thing for them to navigate. I think with the, what you mentioned about them eating the belugas, to me that just sounds like they're being opportunistic. I mean, I was in uh, Cape Churchill, I think it was, where the, you know where the estuary is, just near the town of Churchill where the belugas actually come in. Mm-hmm. And there were heaps of bears actually around the point there. And to me it just sounds like there's some meat, I'm going to eat it because I'm waiting anyway, might as well. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, these are, these are bears, these are predators that live in one of the most extreme environments on the planet. And that's one of the big differences between, say, polar bears and grizzly bears. A polar bear will investigate just about anything. Mm. So often when you're working with grizzly bears, you kind of have to approach them, find out where they're feeding. Um, it's not so with polar bears. With polar bears, if you go out and you're walking along the beach and a polar bear spots you, Nine times out of 10, he's going to be very curious and want to know what's going on and will approach you. So they're absolutely opportunistic feeders, like you said, you know, feeding on carrion, anything they find. And they're very intelligent bears. These are bears that evolved from grizzly bears. So I I like to call them grizzly bear 2.0. You know, they are, they're smart bears and they have evolved in the past. And so we don't know, is this beluga bear, beluga whale predation? Is this new behavior that they're evolving into? Or is this behavior they've done in the past? Certainly bears have shown transferable skills. You know, they will teach their young certain skills. They will learn from other bears. So not to say that this, you know, climate change is a boon to this bear population, but it will be very interesting to see how they do evolve if they can evolve Mm. to deal with climate change. Mm. The Hudson Bay wolf is a subspecies of grey wolf native to the bay's northwest coast, and it's also known as the tundra wolf. Its thick, bushy fur ranges from light grey to cream or white in colour, and this works to camouflage it from its preferred prey, which includes caribou, moose or bison. The wolf pack is a complex social group that can consist of up to 20 wolves, and it's headed up by an alpha female and an alpha male. These are the only mating pair in any pack. And according to the International Wolf Centre, Tundra Wolves' territory can span up to 1,000 square miles, 
And as there are very few human settlements in their habitat, tundra wolves have virtually no fear of people. In the area of Hudson Bay, there's a massive population of wolves by comparison to other places. You have had incredible encounters with them. At one point recently, they even marked your igloo as their territory. And that interaction became one of the most iconic of your entire life. I loved watching that story unfold on your social media. Tell us the whole story, please, (laughs) from the beginning. Okay. So Churchill Wild for the past uh, three or four years has been trying to bring photographers close to bears as they emerge from their dens with with the newborn cubs in mid-March to photograph them, to kind of see them and document this behavior. As part of that, we don't stake out any kind of polar bear dens. This is a very different uh, approach than, say, you get up around the town of Churchill, where maybe, say, the bears are in a certain area. Um, You go up. Um, Let me back up. Let me just say, with with the wolves in the Hudson Bay, it's a fantastic population, especially along the Casca Coast that I mentioned earlier, this area that's 10 times the size of Yellowstone National Park. So you have a very dense concentration of wolves. You have wolves that have not been hunted in their lifetime because there are just no people up there. When we're up photographing on the Casca Coast, we are the only people up there. So these wolves don't have the same kind of fear that they would of humans that wolves in other areas have. And these are also one of the largest subspecies of wolves in the planet, of, of the gray wolf. Um, they're called the Hudson Bay subspecies. And they're fantastic. So you asked about the igloo. So we're out there trying to photograph bears with, with cubs. And one of the big challenges is that wolves predate on bears. Wolves will hunt the polar bears up really? along the Casca Coast. They, and this is one of the very few places we know of on the planet where wolves and bears interact like this. So you've got these large packs of wolves that are looking for mother bears with cubs and they will harass the mother until, you know, she's just overwhelmed and one of the cubs makes a break for it. And then the wolves will grab that, that uh, cub and eat. We don't quite understand this behavior. I asked one of the guides up there, Butch, I said, Butch, why do they do this? What's the, what's the survival instinct? You know, they're not getting many calories from a, a polar bear cub and they're spending a lot of energy and they're risking a lot to try and take a cub from a mother. And Butch said, it's just what wolves do. So the opportunities to photograph wolves are fantastic. And we had built with some of the guests, we'd gone out in the guides and we built an igloo to photograph under the Northern lights. That was a lot of fun. And I thought, Hey, you know, wouldn't it be great to spend the night in the igloo? So we had the igloo all set up and we went out the first night, put a candle in there and took some pictures. And then the next day I was going to go out and see about sleeping overnight in there. And I went over around the far side of the igloo and wolves had peed all over it. They had marked their territory. Now, wolves will mark anything, wolves, foxes, anything that's new in their territory to show you that they are, this is their territory. So this kept going on where they were peeing on the igloo. And so at one point I went out and I thought, okay, I'm going to see if I can mark it a little bit higher. So I kind of marked it as my territory. They marked it as their territory. And we got in this little tug of war. But the wolves kept coming back to the lodge, and it was fantastic. So one day, I went out. It was actually our last day as people were packing up, getting ready to fly out. And this is how assignments so often work out. It's the last, you know, 15 minutes when you're there that things kind of come together. So I went out, and I sat down in the snow. I knew the wolves would regularly come around the lodge. And I sat down there, and sure enough, you know, a half hour later, we had two wolves came trotting along the snow, and started to approach me. And they saw me, they saw the, the fur rim of my parka, and they were very, very curious, so they approached. 
And I photographed wolves quite a bit in Alaska and Yellowstone National Park. Um, Yellowstone has long been held as one of the finest places to photograph wolves in the wild. But in Yellowstone, typically you'll see the wolves a quarter mile away. You'll see them through binoculars. But these wolves kept coming and coming and coming. And I'm shooting. I was laying down. And at one point I decided, okay, these wolves are a little too close. I was outside of the lodge compound. I didn't have any kind of noisemaker, like a weapon with me to, you know, scare them if they got too close. So I sat up and the wolves stopped. And at this point they were maybe, I don't know, 10 meters from me. And then they kept coming. And so I stood up and they got to the point where my 400 millimeter lens could no longer focus, which is at about (laughs) three meters. And at that point I said, okay, they, you know, that's too close. And then I had one of them try and get behind me. So fortunately, one of the other guides was kind of watching this. Butch was back at the gate watching and he kind of laughed. And and so, you know, I, I told the wolves to go away and I backed back into the lodge compound. And then I knew the rest of the pack was coming around the other side. So I went back out on the other side of the lodge. And this time I kept the fence to my back so I could get inside the compound if I needed to. And the most important thing was not allowing any of the animals to get behind me. Mm. And I had six wolves and they were beautiful. They just came right up extremely curious this was not like there was no love lost it was as though i wanted to pat them they were definitely very curious and approached to within you know probably two or three meters um so i wasn't able to photograph them very well at that range they were just too close for the big lens and eventually you know with six wolves around me i said okay that's too many and too close and so i kind of gave them a little shout and they backed up, and then I went back inside the lodge. But I've never had an experience like that before with wolves in the wild. That is just mind-blowing. How amazing is that? Yeah. There was a time as well. Yeah. Was this part of the same interaction? There was an image of you that your friend took of you where you were lying on your belly, and you were eye-to-eye with a very curious young wolf. Is that the same interaction, or was that a different one in the same time? Yes, that was the same interaction. Um, and it actually wasn't a young wolf. It was one of the alpha, the two oh. alphas. Um, I think it was the alpha male. So, yes, I was laying down. and He just kept coming and coming. And, you know, if you're used to Yellowstone, where they're so far away, you get really excited. And these wolves, they've never been hunted. They have no natural fear of people. And so they keep coming and coming and coming. And I've on other occasions, I can remember I've been on the snow machine and I saw a couple wolves and I got off and sat down in the snow to kind of be less threatening. And I've had them come up and practically sniff my boot and look at me. <laughs> That's awesome. You actually yeah. observed during this time the alpha female and the male, they were expressing affection with each other. That was a very kind of different behavior to what we would expect to see of wolves. What did that kind of thing teach you about wolf behavior? It was fantastic. You know, the alpha male and and alpha female um, coupling all the time, you know, they were just so affectionate. And I'd never seen that before. And they were doing it constantly and then resting and spending a lot of time, you know, sitting together back to back, howling together. It really makes you see these creatures as, again, as sentient beings. You realize they have emotions. They they have intelligence. They have souls. They're they're just out there doing all the things that we do. Um, and it was really beautiful to, to watch them. And it was fantastic to see when the pack would get together. It was just like very, very large puppies, you know, rolling and wagging their tails and yipping and tripping over one another. And just, just this exuberance of these wolves. And you're talking about an environment that's minus 40 Celsius. Oh. 
and it doesn't bother them at all. They're dancing around, and then eventually they'll curl up on the snow in a little ball and cover their nose with their tail and fall asleep. Amazing. You've actually been a National Geographic photographer for the past 16 years, but before that, you spent a decade or so as a photojournalist covering a dozen wars and genocides. That's pretty full on. Has that frontline experience helped you to become a better wildlife photographer? Did it teach you anything about how to read the animals? Or I know that sounds a little bit out there, but did it give you some empathy? Yes, or? Yeah. Right. No, that's, that's a good question. So you're right. I, I spent a decade as a war photographer and before I kind of got into photographing the more beautiful side of the world. And I would say one of the carryovers from that experience is that I'm just more aware in the field. And so when I am out there um, hiking through the willows, I like to think that my senses are a little jacked up, a little spidery sense, you know, that I hear things that I wouldn't normally hear and see things and smell things. It's very exciting to be out there working with these animals that are beautiful, but very potentially can be very dangerous if, if they're, they're bothered or startled. Um, so I think that that has given me my experience as a war photographer certainly gives me an edge in being aware of my surroundings and looking around. And as far as empathy, that's a very good question. I think that you just value every living thing after you photograph a war, you, you see these animals and they're beautiful. Even the, you know, the wolves are gorgeous and you think, okay, I don't know how people can hunt them as trophies. I understand this. I understand the cultural depth when it comes to what we call harvesting animals for traditional purposes. But as far as some Texas hunter going up to shoot and kill a polar bear, just to prove he's macho or she's macho, that just, you know, it's disgusting. It's the same thing with trophy hunting of grizzly bears or trophy hunting of wolves that I don't understand. It's just uh, the sanctity of life. I think it's different for the first nations people that are out there harvesting the caribou and harvesting whale and harvesting bear. Um, that's a different approach, but for people to go up and spend money to kind of kill these things, I just don't understand that. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned from the animals you've worked with? Oh, that's a great question, Rochelle. What is the most important thing I've learned from the animals that I work with up there? I, gosh, I, I enjoy seeing the wildlife enjoying their environment. There are sometimes that you'll be hiking out there and you'll see the caribou running and you realize they're just running not because bugs are chasing them or because they're scared, but they're, they're young caribou calves and they're jumping around and they're being joyous. Or you see a bear um, that comes across a piece of driftwood and starts to play with it. And I think that's what the wildlife teaches me. It's just that, to enjoy the environment that they're in. Absolutely amazing. You know what? Your stories have made me itch to get back to Churchill. Hopefully that'll happen in the next year or two. Well, it would be great to have you back up. Oh, can't wait. Honestly, it's like heaven. Everything from the animals to the climate. All times of year, actually. Yeah, there's all the seasons up there are mm. fantastic. I've been up there in the summer and the winter and the autumn is gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah. So you're about to head off to the Yukon, aren't you? I am. I'm heading up to Yukon in a couple of weeks to go check out the subarctic up there and check out Ivavavik National Park, which I'm really excited about. I'm so jealous. Have the best time. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Rochelle. Awesome. We'll catch you next time. Okay, you got it. 
Now you really do have to jump online and go and check out Jad's amazing portfolio of work at his website. Just go to www.jaddavenport.com. I bet seeing his site will inspire you so much you'll want to learn his tricks, which is handy because Jad actually does run a travel photography online course. You can find that at www.myblueprint.com. Just go there and search for his name, Jad Davenport. I'll actually post the exact link up on pornographic.com so you can just go through there as well. Thanks again for your company. Catch you next time. Wild Lives by Fornographic. Check out our wildlife photo gallery at fornographic.com and on Instagram at Fornographic.